very grateful that you're here, and all of you are very important to God and to us. Um, but we, we have uh, some folks here today that we haven't seen for a while, and, and uh, I just want to acknowledge them, uh, John and Dawn Heaney. Just wave. They're getting back together. And then Frank and Kim Diskin. Love you guys. Love you all. Thank you all for being here. God has great things for you. And uh, the challenge being this, that he has everything that we need, but we have to recognize it and receive it by faith. And uh, it's, it's so important in these days that we're living in so many challenges we face uh, in uncertain, fast-changing times, but we don't have to be moved by it. We don't have to be thrown by it because the Bible tells us that we're in this world. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a new home, and it's not here. It's heaven. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Now, we are here, and God has a purpose for us being here. But in the midst of what's going on, God wants to reveal himself through us to the people around us so that they can also come to that place where they're not filled with fear because of the uncertainty, um, worried all the time, overwhelmed by what they face because we know that he's with us and for us and, and we can have a confidence. And that's what we've been learning. We've been learning about how uh, God has for us in the midst of what is going on. And, and the Bible tells us in the days that we're living in and the days ahead, uh, things aren't going to get necessarily easier uh, they're not necessarily going to get better. The Bible talks about darkness covering the earth and gross darkness to people and the depravity, and we're seeing it. But we don't have to be afraid of it because in the midst of it, God has a great privilege and opportunity for us to walk with him and reveal him to all those around us that, that don't know him yet. You know, I was talking to somebody this week, and they were... It was in a business, and this person said to me, I don't know how people get through the weeks, the months, and even just days without having faith in God. And I said, I absolutely agree. And, and even sometimes we who have faith in God, gets, we struggle. But God doesn't have for us to struggle. He has for us to snuggle. Maybe you've never thought about God that way, but he just wants you to come close, and he wants you to rest in him. And and we've been learning about this and how we can have a security and a stability and a strength in the midst of what's going on in the, the world we live in. And it's by having hope. Our God is a God of hope. And today we're going to look at, at what the scriptures say and, and uh, how hope is an anchor to us. And in the currents that are in our world today, just pulling people this way and that way, God has for you to be stable and secure and strong. And the way we do that is through him, but through having a confident expectation. That's what hope is. It's a confident expectation in God and good because we can trust him. But before we go to the word, let's just pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Lord, we know there's no place we can go that you're not there. But Father, we request your participation. You'll never push anything on us or force anything uh, on us that we, we don't want. And so, Father, we want and we need your 
participation. We need you to reveal to us yourself, your, your truth, your life, your ways, so that, Father, we, uh, we can be transformed to be more like you so the people around us would see Christ in us who's the hope of glory. And we thank you, Father. We thank you today for your word as it goes forth. You said you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Your word is truth and it sets captives free. We thank you for freedom and liberty from, from things that have held us back from what you have prepared for us. Your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for the illumination that reveals what's actually going around and, and revelation that helps us get insight into who you are and, and what you have that brings transformation to our life. Father, I pray today that none of us would leave here the same because we've heard from you, we've spent time with you, and you've been able to have your way in us. And Lord, we thank you that you are coming back for a church, not buildings, people, your people, without spot or wrinkle. And today, Father, we thank you for uh, doing a work in us to cleanse us and purify us and prepare us not only for what you have for us here, but what you have for us in eternity. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. So we've been talking about hope, being hope-filled, because in the world, uh, Jesus said we're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because he's overcome the world. So he knew, he wasn't candy-coating it. He said that things are going to get tough, but you don't have to be afraid. Uh, and, and today we're going to understand why. There are things that we can build into our lives through the Word of God, uh, through knowing who God is, that will keep us secure and stable and strong because that's what's needed in the days that we live in. And uh, one of the foundational scriptures is in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is the source of real hope. Now, when we talk about hope, we can talk about the hope that we usually uh, use in our conversations. I hope that it doesn't rain today and then all of a sudden it rains and we're disappointed and you know, our plans change. Uh, it's, it's a questionable outcome. We're unsure. But when the Bible talks about hope, God, but God being a God of hope, uh, that hope is defined as a confident expectation of good or of God having his way. You and I have the unique opportunity to have confidence no matter what we encounter. Because our life doesn't depend on what we encounter. It comes to us, but the Bible says there's one in us that's greater than anything we'll face. And yet we've got to, we've got to know that and not just know it, but believe it. And, and that's where this says the God of hope will fill you. And that word fill means to supply or furnish. If, if something's supplied, if, if, if they supply, usually we get supplies from different companies and they'll bring it to the foyer. And then we've got to receive it and then take it to wherever it needs to be. You and I, God is holding his hands out. He's got everything available to you. The Bible says all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. There's nothing left out. That means that, that God is, is richly offering you everything you need. But 
we need to recognize what he's giving. There are many times in the Bible where people didn't recognize the provision God had for them until they recognized it, they couldn't receive it, and then they couldn't experience the benefit of it. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, but this, this confident expectation of good, God is offering this, but we have to believe it. And the Bible says right here that the God of hope would fill you. He's offering it to you. He's got it supplied out there, furnished out there. But it's, it's got to be believed. And it says, with all joy and peace. Now, God was setting you up today. How many of you know when somebody says they were setting you up, it might not be a good thing? Right? But I can promise you, every time God sets you up, it's always for good. And God was, through today, through the, the, the uh, songs, through Becky sharing what she shared. What was the scripture that Becky shared? See, you got to hang on to it longer than that. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But it, it, it started out, don't be worried, don't be afraid. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so God of hope fills you with joy, which strengthens you, and peace, which secures you and stabilizes you, so that no matter what you face, you've got the strength to be able to go through it and the security and the stability to keep at it, not be moved. And I'm telling you, today we can be rocked quickly and, and powerfully by the things that the world is experiencing, but we don't have to. We're in this world, not over the, uh, of this world. You're overwhelmingly more than conquerors through Christ, but it's through Christ. So we're seeing this is the God of hope, and, and if God is the God of hope in our lives, hope should be a, um, a prominent characteristic in our lives. We should have a confident expectation of good no matter what we face, no matter what day it is, no matter what's going on, no matter what we've experienced. And so much so that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this won't be up on the screens, but, but Peter said, you need and I need to be prepared to be able to give an answer to every person that asks us for the reason for our hope. And Peter's telling us that people are going to look at you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, and they're going to see something that's different than, than what they have. And they're going to notice it, and they're going to say, how come you've got hope? You're experiencing the same thing I am, and sometimes even worse, but you've got this hope. You've got this confident expectation of good. They aren't going to say that. You, you've got this joy. You've got this peace. You've got this security, this serenity, this stability. In, in the same situations I am in, and I got none of that. And we've got to tell them why. Why do we have this hope? Well... We have this hope because our hope is in Christ. The Bible says, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God. You know, when we get anxious about things, many times it's because somehow our sight and our faith has drifted from God and we're looking more at our problems than the provision or the promise or the provider, which is God. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so this hope, this confident expectation of good that, that strengthens us with this joy and 
secures us and stabilizes us with this peace, it's, it's an anchor. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, I believe it's 19, uh, tells us this hope we has, have in as, as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast, we have this anchor to our soul. And when we, we see that, that word sure means unchanging, and steadfast means immovable. So we have something that's unchanging in a constantly changing world and something that's immovable when everything else is continuing to migrate and, and, and morph into things that aren't necessarily better. So we'll have this stability, we'll have this security, we'll have this strength that will cause us to be an anomaly in our society. And even among Christians, because there are a lot of people that that know a lot of information, but don't necessarily mix it with faith and believe it. I was talking this week with uh, uh, Pastor Warren Collins, who some of you know who he is, some of you, you don't, uh, but uh, we call each other twins. We were born on the same day, but he's much older than I am. No, he's not that much older, but he is older. Uh, and and uh, he was telling me he's, he's teaching about the 18 inches distance that's the farthest distance that there is. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you have to illuminate and ha help me have some revelation. And he said, the 18 inches is between your head and your heart. He said, many Christians, we get all this, this truth of God's word and we put it as information in our heads. But we have all sorts of information up there. And, you know, we can only hold so much. And there's stuff that comes in all the time. For those of you that are of curious uh, minds, you seek information and, and knowledge and, and things like that. But, but this, this sits up here, and we know we can say it. But it doesn't have the effect on us that God intended until it moves from our head to our heart. This information becomes revelation. We really take it in. It becomes a part of our lives. We start to live this truth out. And when we do, there's transformation. We become changed. And that's what God wants. We need it. God's provided it. But we have to do our part in it and believe. And so this anchor of hope, when we move this information from our head to our heart, we begin to really believe this and, and are secured by it, our lives become really different than most people's in this world. And uh, we began to look at Acts chapter 27 because we wanted to look at Paul's life. Paul, Paul was a person who experienced a lot of challenging things, but God used him greatly. And in this chapter, we're finding him on his way to Rome to be judged before Caesar. And he was on a ship in a very uh, in the latter part of the season, fall, winter time, and it wasn't the time to travel, and yet they were traveling because they were trying to get to Rome. And um, he was a prisoner along with other prisoners. There were over 270 people on the boat, and they determined that they were going to go anyways because they took notice of what the wind was like, and it was, it was a light breeze, and everybody else thought, this is a great idea. Let's head out before we get socked in here and, and stranded here. 
And uh, they got out on the, the ocean, and all of a sudden, this hurricane came and, and started to do damage to the boat. And it was so violent, they started to throw things over because they were concerned for their safety. And we pick this up in verse 20, and we're going to look at verse 22 to show you just exactly what was going on. Uh, it, it says, we did not see the sun or stars for many days. A very bad storm kept beating against us. We lost all hope of being saved. So they were in a situation that was, you know, if it's dark and the only way you have to navigate is by the sun and the stars, you don't know where you are and you also don't know where you're going, that's going to cause real angst, real fear to grip you. And, and they were getting beaten so badly by the storm that they gave up all hope. All right, so the people on the ship are now hopeless. When you become hopeless, what do you tend to do? Give up, absolutely give up. And, and that's what the enemy wants us to do, become hopeless. But how can we, who have a God of hope, ever become hopeless? Well, we can because we don't look to him and we don't realize who he is. And so these people didn't know God, but Paul did. And so in this same environment where they're giving up hope, Paul says this in verse 22, but now I want you to take hope. They just gave up hope. And Paul says, now I want you to take hope. Why did he say that? What did they have their hope in? Themselves, their ship, their circumstances, what they could understand what they sensed, what they saw. And the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't walk by the things everybody else does and expect to be confident in this world. We have to walk by our focus and faith in God and his word. And that's why Paul, although nothing changed, he said, now I want you to take hope. Not the hope they had. Let go of that hope that you've had and all the things that you can see and all the things you can understand and all the things that you can do. And I want you to take real hope. I want you to have a confident expectation in God. Paul was in the same storm. Paul was experiencing the same battering from the hurricane. And yet Paul had a totally different perspective. Paul had hope. Paul had a confident expectation and last week, we began to look at what the first, first um, anchor is. The Bible says in verse 29 that they were fearful about going on the rocks, being thrown on the rocks and being destroyed, and so they threw out four anchors. And there are four anchors in this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 27 that Paul had that kept him stable in the midst of this storm where everybody else was just overwhelmed by fear. And we began to look in verse 23 of what the first anchor is, and uh, it says this. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the Lord God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. All right, so what did the angel say when he showed up? This is open book. Don't be afraid. Do you know that usually when, when angels who were representatives of God that were there to confirm and affirm that God was with people, God hadn't forgotten them or left them alone, uh, they would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Now, I've never counted them, but I've heard many, many times people say over 365 times in the Bible, it says, don't be afraid or don't fear. One for every day. And we know that the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. That gives you a stability when fear is coming at you. You know, this, this ship, it was okay. It was in the ocean, but it became very dangerous when the ocean came into it. You and I are in this world, but we can't let the world come into us. We need to be filled with God, with the truth of God, with the love of God, with the life of God, with the spirit of God, so that in the midst of all this going on around us, there's no place for it in us, and we'll stay secure and strong and stable the way God intends us to be in the world that we live in that is so unstable. But uh, this first anchor, for there stood by me this night an angel of God. The first anchor is the presence of God, being absolutely confident that God's with you. And we went through a number of scriptures last week that affirm the fact that God will never leave you or forsake you. God will not abandon you or leave you as orphans. And so the first anchor, the first thing that we put our confident expectation is, no matter what we face, God is there. God is there. Now, this week I had a really interesting situation occur. I haven't even told my wife this, so this is news to you. She's like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was, I was on my iPad, and all of a sudden, this warning came up. And it says, uh, your identity has been stolen. How many of you know that's not a good thing? Even I know that. And, and so I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and I've been telling you, you know, what we need to do, no matter what happens, we need to recognize God's right there. And not try and fix it or figure it out or, or, or work it out. We need to pause and, and turn our attention towards God. And so I immediately started to freak out. And then I realized, hey, remember what you told everybody else to do? <laughs> and I paused and I said, oh, you're right, God. Thanks for reminding me. And so I stopped and I said, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to be afraid, even though I am not the most electronically knowledgeable person. But you know who knows more about all the electronics we're dealing with than me or you or all the experts? God does. And, and so I paused and my mind is going a million miles a minute. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta call Deb. I gotta call somebody. Somebody's gotta help me. And, and when the Lord said, just pause, just look to me. And I, I, I sat there for a second, my mind's still going, and all of a sudden this peace just started to fill me. And I was like, okay, I can breathe again. And then I had this impression to call somebody, and I called them, and they said, listen, I want you to know what this is. This is somebody fishing. I said, no, this is my computer. No, they're fishing. I said, they're not, there's no pole, there's no line, there's no hook. They said, no, 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 no. They're trying to get information from you. Don't respond, just delete it. I was like, oh. Because I could have fallen into the trap. 
But God lovingly, when I paused and didn't do what I can do, because you know what we can do, just like Abraham and Sarah could do when they were trying to do their own thing and help God and had Ishmael, just stop, look to God, know he's there, let him get involved. And God saved me from giving all my information to somebody who was trying to trap me. We're not that smart, but God is. God knows exactly what's going on, and he's always there with you. So that's the first, that's the first anchor. Uh, the confident, a confident hope in that God is there. But how many of you know that it's not just his presence? God's always there. God's everywhere all the time with everyone. Now, for us as believers, he lives in us, but for everyone else, he's available. He's around. And so we've got to, we've got to build that into us, that he is right there. We don't ever face anything alone, but we can try and deal with it alone, even though God's there, and that won't, won't work out well. The second anchor is right here in this, this verse too. It says, uh, for there stood by me, this, this night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and who I serve. The second anchor, the confidence that we have, is in the identity of two. God's identity and ours. When you and I know who God is, really, and who we are to God... Who is God to you? Because so many people today say, well, you know, I know God. You know, I pray to God. I, I, I. But who is God to you? You know, when you really know somebody, you know somebody. You can have a confidence in them. If you don't know somebody, if you say, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've heard of, of Fred Flintstone. Well, you don't, you don't know what Fred's really like, and so you can't have a lot of confidence in him. You know, I know Debbie, I know Pastor Gabe, I know Judy. I know a lot of you. And I can have a confidence in my relationship with you because I know who you are. A specific understanding. And the more you really know who God is, what's his name? get really spiritual Elohim and what does that mean well you know these are the things that we can find out and study and, and grow in and become more confident in who he is and our our knowing who God is Jehovah Rapha anybody know what the word Rapha means healer right if, if you know that and you believe that then you can receive that healing from God. You can have a confident expectation no matter what you face. There's healing available for you. Now, how God's going to do it, you can't tell him that. He could heal you miraculously, just supernaturally, or he could bring healing to you through doctors and nurses and technology and medications. However God wants to do it, he's God, not you, not me. But I can be confident that Healing is mine because I know he is my God. He is the God that heals me. But of all the names of God, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, what does that mean? 
the God who provides. But literally what it means, it was about Abraham when he was offering up Isaac, and he was going up to offer up Isaac, and, and when they got up to where the, that Abraham was going to offer up his son, there was a ram caught in a bush that he could use for the sacrifice instead of his son. And so he said, you are Jehovah Jireh. The God provides, but it literally means the God who sees the need and provides for it before the need is ever known. See, that's who your God is. God knows what needs are ahead for you, and God supplies your needs before you ever know the need is there. But part of the key is you've got to recognize what he's providing. When Jesus fed the 5,000, what did he do it with? Anybody know? A little boy's lunch. And you know what the, the disciples said about that? Well, we've got a lunch here, but it's not enough. Guess what? They didn't recognize the provision of God, so they almost went without what God was going to use to provide that supernaturally. That's where we've got to know. We've got to know. We've got to recognize. Know who God is, recognize what he's offering us, and believe it and receive it. We can have a confidence in that, that God is always going to provide if we know and believe that. We, we, we find out that's what his word is. That's who he is. He doesn't change. And so we need to know. But all, of all the titles of God, what do you think the most most confidence-inducing or developing title we can know of him is. We sang it today. Good Father. Man, when we really know, and you know, I've got to tell you, when we sang that song today and every time we sing it, I love that song, but I also, my heart, I, I, I have a sense in my heart that some people are really struggling singing that song because of what they've experienced with a natural father or a natural father figure, a human father or father figure, and how, how difficult it was because they didn't act or do what God intended a real father to do. And sometimes, you know, we, we project onto God what we've experienced from other people. And that is us making God in the image of man. And God's not in the image of man. Man was made in the image of God, but we have to develop in the character of God. God never changes his character. God is good all the time. And we have to come to that place where not only do we know it, we believe it. And we have confidence in it. In, uh, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember or another translation says, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And you got to know who he is. Who is he to you? Is he just your savior? And that's it? Until you get to heaven, nothing else is going to happen? Well, no. That, but if that's all you see, that's all you can, you can receive from him. But when, when we find out he's our father, and he's not like any human being we've ever ex experienced or worked with, we can have a confidence. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 in the voice translation says this. You see, you have not received the spirit that returns you to slavery, so you have nothing to fear. 
Do you notice that? Nothing to fear. This is a kind of a, a theme with God. Nothing to fear, nothing to fear. What was the theme for Miss Lynn's video? Sign up. Well, God has a theme. Don't fear. Don't fear. If God tells you not to fear, you don't have to fear. We can choose to fear, but we don't have to fear. And right here it says, so you have nothing to fear. The spirit you have received adopts you and welcomes you into God's own family. That's why we call out to him, Abba Father, as we would address a loving daddy. God's spirit confirms in our spirit that we are his children. And again, when I say father or daddy, some people struggle just terribly with the thought of someone who was in that role that didn't protect them, didn't provide for them, didn't encourage them, didn't nurture them, but, but injured them and disappointed them and, and did all those things. And so right now, I just, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads because I believe that, that God's a good God and he wants to do good things in our lives and he, he wants to set us free and he wants to heal us and make us whole. And, and for some of you right now, this is how much he cares. He's stopping everything so that what you struggle with, he can be involved with and then bring you through it and make you whole. Not that you won't remember what happened, but you'll walk in the forgiveness and walk in, in the healing and wholeness that God has. Father, I just pray for everyone who's experienced less than what your best was by a parent, especially a father. Lord, I don't even know how you do this, but it doesn't matter if I know how. I just know who. I know you're our healer. I know you make us whole. You're the healer of the brokenhearted. You restore our souls. And right now, Father, I pray that those that have experienced injury, even, even are continuing to experience injury and pain, that, Father, they would turn that over to you. Forgive, release that person and those situations to you. And that, Father, you would bring wholeness. You would redeem this to the uttermost. You would work this for good because you said you would as we love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, I thank you that it could be instantaneous, but oftentimes healing is a process, and I thank you that whatever it is, instantaneous, supernatural, miraculous, or a healing process that you would have your way, and we would have a confident expectation that you're not done until we see wholeness. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. But he confirms in our spirit that we are his children. So who is God to us? He's our heavenly Father. He's a good, good Father. Who are we to him? The Bible tells us we're his beloved children. Not just somebody. The Bible says you're the apple of his eye. You know what? I don't know how he does it, but I know it's true. You're his favorite. We're like, how can that be? Because God's God. 
He loves all of us the most. I know it's like, oh, I, I don't know if I can wrap my brain around it. Don't wrap your brain around it. Just receive it. Just believe it. He loves you the most. You're not like anybody else, so he's not comparing. So you're his favorite you. Matthew 7, 11 helps us understand how we struggle with what people do versus what God does. It says, so if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, give your children good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven, who is perfect, know how to give great gifts to his children? You know, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him. That, that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God gives good things, and he works things out for good. And, and as much as we see and have experienced people saying they love us but don't treat us the way true, unconditional love would, don't reflect that on God. God gives the best gifts to his kids because he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love, an unchanging love. unconditional love that doesn't depend on who we are, what we've done, or what we didn't do, or, or, or what we're going to do. God, God cannot love you more than he loves you right now. And God loved you that way before you were ever born. And God's going to love you that way through all of your life, all of your actions, all of, of what we do and what we are. He's still going to love us. Knowing that, we should be so secure. He's with us and he loves us. He's our Abba Father, our good Father. If you, if you will take this information and meditate on it and memorize it and continue to build it into you, You'll never face another thing that is going to cause you to be, you're going to be shocked by a lot of things. You're going to be surprised, but you won't be overwhelmed. You won't be inundated and overflowed by fear. That what will happen is the enemy will come in, but like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. Something immovable and unchanging that will keep you rock solid because you have a confident ex expectation that God's with you and God's a good father. gives good gifts to his children the best gifts we couldn't we couldn't have anything better luke chapter 2 our 12 verse 32 in the living bible says this so don't be afraid there it is again god's encouraging us don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid that's god's theme don't be afraid don't fear because i am near and not only is he near to you he wants the best for you now, does that mean that you aren't going to encounter difficult things? No, you're in this world. This world is full of difficulties, full of, of opposition and obstacles. But the one that's with you can bring you through and into what he's prepared for you, which is good. 
It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always quick, but it is always best. I can tell you're overwhelmed by this. But we should be. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you what? The kingdom. Yeah, the kingdom. See, we don't understand kingdom because we live in America. But back in Jesus' time, back in the time this stuff was written, they had kings, real kings. And in their kingdom, who got their way? Exactly. That's right. The king got his way. What if everybody voted, we don't want to do it that way? Hey, you don't have to live in the kingdom. Go ahead. Go ahead out there beyond the walls that protect you. And, and don't use the land that you've been given to, to cultivate. Make it on your own. And isn't that the way most people live in this world? If it's to be, it's up to me. That's, that scares me when I think about that. Because <laughs> I have a track record. I, I have not done so well when it's been up to me exclusively. But there's somebody who has a track record who has never failed and never will fail, and that's God. And you and I, as believers in Christ, we don't have to face anything alone. And we're loved by God. He's our good father, the one that wants the best for us. And so we don't have to be afraid because he's giving us the kingdom where he's in control. And I know we all want to be in control. But any and every one of us in control other than God, it would be a train wreck. I don't, don't, please don't, don't take that as an offense. I'm just telling you, no one can do the good that God can do as much as we believe it. Now, I just want to kind of have you reference something. When was the last time you decided you were going to make this great decision to do something and it didn't turn out the way you wanted yeah, we have a string of those things. But when God has determined to do something, it works out the way he wants, and it always ends up good. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always look good. It doesn't always sound good. It doesn't always feel good. But you can be assured that it will turn out good. It'll actually turn out for the best. Because that's who God is. If you know who he is, you can have a confident expectation. If you let God have control, if you'll allow him to guide you, to govern you, to guard you, then you're going to be moving into the fullness of the abundant life that God has. You may have to go through some things, but he'll bring you through. He'll bring you through. But you've got to know who he is. You've got to know that he's a good father, that he, he's your heavenly father, that he loves you. You know, to prove this, uh, there was a situation where Jesus was heading to a man's house to minister to a family member, and the crowds were all around him. And he's walking through the crowds. But unbeknownst to him and unbeknownst to everybody else, there was one woman who had heard he was coming, and she said, you know what, I need to get to him. Now, this was a woman who had suffered for years and years and years with a medical affliction, 
And it was an affliction that in that society at that time, if she was caught in public around other people, they had the very right to stone her and kill her on the spot. And there's this massive group of people around Jesus as he's going. His, his disciples are kind of like his bodyguards. They're all around him. And, and this woman, this woman, unbeknownst to all these people, she had said in her own heart, she had said to herself, if I can just get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Now, she had gone to all sorts of doctors and spent all her money and got no better. And she, this is who Jesus was to her. She saw him as his healer. That was his identity to her. And she crawled through. Dangerous? Yeah, she could have lost her life being trampled on. She crawls through and gets to Jesus' garment, grabs the hem of it. When she touches it, she's healed. And in that moment, Jesus stops. You know, this commotion is going on. All these people are pressing in on Jesus. They know who he is. He's Jesus. Look, Jesus, let's go follow Jesus. And Jesus stops and he says, hold it. Who touched me? I find that really humorous. I find that, I'm thinking the disciples around him are like, oh man, Jesus has finally lost it. Come on, man. What do you mean who touched you? Who didn't touch you? Everybody's touching you. But what was the difference? One woman touched him. Her life was changed. Why? Because she saw who he was. The Lord God that heals. Everybody else touched him, and their life was just like it was before they touched him. She believed they were just crowded around. It's not about crowding around what's going on. It's believing. And knowing who he is. Who is he to you? And who are you to him? You're his beloved child. He wants to give you his kingdom. And understand, when we read this and we don't understand about kingdom, it's when the king has his way. He provides, he protects, he does it all. He is in charge. And because he's in charge, the best can come to our lives. Not second best or third best or maybe we'll get it sometime. The best will be part of our lives. Again, don't equate best with easiest, quickest, most convenient or most comfortable because that doesn't always mesh with what God has as best. But it will be best. It will be best. And, and so also for you to be aware that this kingdom, <laughs> in Hebrews chapter, this won't be up, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says that we receive this kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's giving you a kingdom, causing you to be a part of something that can't be shaken. But whose kingdom are we looking to receive from and, and connect with? The kingdoms of this world or the kingdoms of our God? Our God's kingdom will not be shaken. Cannot be shaken. And so we see what we, 
what God can and should be to us. And we also see what we are to him. We're his children. We're his beloved. He's offering us everything that we need. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to close with these scriptures. Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 25, it says, and these are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. There it is again. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Now he's saying, don't worry about your life. What do you mean, don't worry about my life? Don't you know what's going on, Jesus? Yes, he does. He knows more about what's going on in your life and my life than we do. There's nothing hidden to him. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. And this next statement is life-changing. Are you not more valuable than they? Again, this is one of those, those things that's true, but it's very hard for us to embrace. Aren't we more valuable than that? Oh, yeah, you know, Pastor Gabe and Judy, they're more valuable than the birds, but I'm not because you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't, you don't know what I'm doing in my life. And, and, and so, no, I'm not very valuable because we tend to put value on things that are going up and good and, and benefiting us. But if it's not, then we devalue it. We devalue human beings. We look at this one because they're, they're successful seeming and, and uh, doing well. They're valuable. But we look over here at this one who, who's down and out and had some really difficult things and, and their life's a mess. They're not as valuable as that one. Not true. Every one of these people has the same value. Not connected to what they do. It's about who they are and whose they are. God created them. They're loved by God. And sometimes we, we even in our own life, we, we think our value is more. God will be good to us because we've been good. We've been reading our Bible. We've been going to church. We haven't sworn. You know, we're not going out and partying. Come on. Don't we get into that because we've done this or haven't done this, we're better off with God? But that's not, that's not the case. Your value is not based on what you do or what you don't do. We can find out value by what people exchange for something. What did God exchange for you and every human being? His son. His only begotten son. Now, we have two sons. And, and I can't choose which one is more valuable. They're both valuable to us. But God had one son. And he gave that son for every one of us. Do you know... When we look at Jesus, we, we, we can't compare him to anybody. There's nobody like Jesus. And I would dare to say that Jesus is priceless. But do you know what that means? That means you're priceless. Not worthless, not useless, 
like you hear maybe people say or that voice in your head of the enemy that says, you know what, you're worthless. For years and years and years, I heard that in my own head because I had people saying to me, you're not going to be any good for anything but manual labor. And when your body breaks down, you're going to be useless. And I believed that lie and I lived that lie out and it had an effect on me for a while, but I've realized that's a lie. I'm not useless and I'm not worthless. I am priceless. And even if you don't think so, there's somebody who knows more than all of us and he thinks I'm priceless. But he thinks the same thing about you. And when you realize, not only do you know who God is to you, but you know who you are to God, there is a confidence that comes to us that secures us in the midst of everything we face. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's awesome. In verse 31, it says this. Therefore, oh, there it is again. Don't worry. Let's say that together. Don't worry. I know there was a great song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, but we're not going there. Just don't worry. Don't be afraid. It goes on to say, what shall we, for? don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear for after all these things the Gentiles seek? Now, when it's talking about Gentiles, it's talking about people that, that didn't have that relationship, that, that relationship with God. Now, eventually the Gentiles did. Gentiles did. You and I are not most of us. I don't think any of us are Jewish. Uh, but we would be considered Gentiles, but we have a relationship with Christ. And so everybody needs this stuff. They're seeking this stuff. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows it. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, where our heavenly Father is the king. But our Heavenly Father and the King, which are one and the same, we're going to let have His way. And that's His kingdom. Seeking first His kingdom. Let Him have His way and His righteousness. The ways that are right in His sight. And all these things will be added unto us. You know, I know this is in some, some aspects has been kind of heavy, but I, I just want to share something to kind of lighten it up at this point. And that is uh, a story about... Uh, four people that had gotten stranded on a very remote desert island in the ocean. And they were all concerned because nobody knew that they had gone out in the boat. And, and uh, uh, it wasn't Gilligan's Island and all that. But uh, they had gotten stranded. And they're all like, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this island can't support us for very long. And they're wondering, how are we going to get off? How are we going to get rescued? And there was one man, and he happened to be a multimillionaire. Uh, that was just leaning up against one of the palm trees, and he was just cool as a cucumber, just wasn't worried at all. And they were like, you know what? You could help us. Uh, you, you don't seem to care about this. You don't seem to be worried at all that we're lost out here and nobody knows where we are. And he said, no, I'm not concerned. What do you mean you're not concerned? We're all on this island together. Why aren't you concerned? He said, well, you know, my pastor will find me. They were like, your pastor? 
Your pastor doesn't even know you're out here. Why would he come looking for you? He said, well, I tithe. I would come looking for you even if you didn't tithe. <laughs> but I want you to know God is always looking out for you. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across all the earth, looking for someone he can show himself strong on their behalf. Anyone he can show himself strong on their behalf. And the way he, he's able to show himself strong is we see him for who he is and we recognize the relationship we have with who he is and recognize who we are to him. And that causes us to have an absolute confidence, the second anchor, that confident hope of our relationship with him. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship. You may say, well, I know a lot about him. That's, that's up here. But it's about having a relationship. That moves down here. It's, it's interactive. It's more real and should be more real than any relationship we have in the natural with another human being because God's closer than any human being in our lives. And, and whether we take advantage of that or not, that's up to us. But God wants to move into our lives first by us repenting of our sin and receiving his forgiveness and his lordship that he would then govern our life, guide our life, and guard our life like we can't and no one can. And, and then begin to walk this out and have this new beginning. But it's not what God can do in our lives until we receive him. We turn around and turn our life over to him. So I, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, you at home. Uh, you may say, why, why do I need to bow my head? Because... I just don't want you distracted by anything. And I want to say to you today, if you have never turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, you've never acknowledged that you've been running your own life. It's your kingdom, not his. And, and we need him to be king. He truly is the king of kings and lord of lords, but we need his kingship. We need his his governing in our lives. We need his guidance in our life. We need him guarding our lives because no one can do it like God can. But he won't force himself on us. And so today, if you've never turned to Christ and repented of your sins, said, oh, Lord, I've sinned, and, and now I turn to you, and I recognize the price you paid on the cross and, uh, to forgive me of my sin, and I receive you. I welcome you into my life to now take over to be in control, to be Lord. And, and we struggle with that because many times we think, I, nobody's going to do it like I can. Well, that's true. Nobody can do it like you can, but nobody can do it as good as God can. And so today, if you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to invite everybody to pray with me. You at home, you here. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, and willingly died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I release my life to you. 
and I receive you as my Lord. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now, I have 